It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm here with Zerlina Maxwell, and we are joined right now by one of our favorite guests to explain the economy to us. She is the co-anchor of CNN's Early Start. It's Christine Romans. Christine, thanks so much for being here. Good morning. I'm great for a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. We we were just doing the Tuesday. Do you have any Tuesday speech. tips? Like, how do you get through Tuesdays? <laughs> you know, I Tuesday is just one of those. It's so funny when I when I start the week, I always try to really struggle on Monday to like take a run or bike ride or like you know. And I'm like, by Tuesday, if I can get a run in on Tuesday afternoon, I can get through the week. That's my sort of my philosophy. Oh, I That's like actually, that. Okay, you got to like, like tackle Tuesday. Yeah, I let yeah. myself, I let Monday slide because Monday is Monday. And then I'm just like, okay, to get to on track, I got to get on track on Tuesday. <laughs> okay. That's actually right. good. Okay. No, it's good. It gives, it, gives you, it gives you something to focus on. You don't just have to get through Tuesday. You have to like get over it. <laughs> right. Just get over it. <laughs> yeah. All Put right. your head down okay. and just do the things. We're, we're, not, we're not here for Tuesday dealing with therapy, though. Um, we are here <laughs> for the economy, so... Um, I was so confused by all of the jobs headlines. I can't tell whether we're up or down. Like, what what's happening? Oh, I'm <laughs> so glad that you bring that up because I, I it, it has been some of the smartest people I know and have worked with for the last, you know, two decades. All of us are scratching our heads at what the Friday's jobs report showed. And Thank I think you. Because, <laughs> I needed to hear that. You know, because, yeah. look, it, everything is happening and everything is, is true. I mean, right? Some people aren't going back to work because they're afraid of the virus. Some people um, are desperately looking for a job and want to get back to work and there's not hiring where they're trained. Um, there, there were 266,000 jobs created in the month of April. Normally, that would be a fine month, but we thought it was going to be a lot more. We thought the reopenings were going to mean this surge of hiring, and we just, we just didn't get it. So, so a lot of the economists got it dead wrong. A lot of the journalists like me were trying to figure out what's really happening in the job market. But to step back, you know, a year ago last month, 20 million jobs evaporated. 20 million. That has never wow. happened. So, of course, the recovery is going to be super weird and uneven. There's literally no blueprint for what we're going through as a country. So it's, it's hard to gauge what is normal and what, what should be happening right now because nothing is normal. Nothing is normal. Yeah, that that actually was right. really helpful because I think that, um, you know, we never really lived through this before. And there's a lot of things that we're learning about the way the pandemic is affecting the economy that we may not have realized. Like one of the things that I um, was reading about because it was Mother's Day, there was a big piece in the L.A. Times about um, the she the she session. It's very yeah. hard to say, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Can we stop um, making puns with she like it's so it was she hard. It's hard to say. It's very <laughs> difficult. I mean, I didn't vote on it. But um, I, I feel like it is a it is an accurate descriptor. But this idea that, um, you know, the job may be out there, but I can't go to it because I have a child who is too young to take care of themselves. I birthed a human. I have to take care of the human. And there's no child care. Schooling is still at home. And so now I have to be teacher. I have to be a teacher. Um, and so I just feel like there's so many like different angles to why yeah. the economy is taking time to recover 
Can you unpack a little bit of that? Because I feel like the people that I heard over the weekend that were like, people just are just, you know, living it up off the $300. Yeah, I was like, free money. The you, free lunch. sir, they want to live I on the don't free lunch. think, I don't yeah. think that you have been on unemployment before. I'm just going to guess, maybe. So, the free, the whole free lunch thing, I just heard the, the governor of, um, of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson, mm-hmm. just told my colleague John Berman on CNN um, that there's free money. It's hard to compete with free money when you're a company and it's trying to trying to get people back. And I think that, look, on paper, in normal times, yeah, that might be true for a percentage of the workforce. But I truly believe the American public, we love to work. We love our jobs. We define ourselves by our jobs. We talk <laughs> about our jobs. We We are a country that is very work-focused, and we have the most dynamic labor market on the planet, right? We really do. And I think that um, $300 extra a week is the first time that some of these workers have actually had a livable wage. It took a global pandemic, a, a, a collapse in the economy, and Congress trying to prevent a depression for millions of workers to actually be paid a fair wage. And now they have to be weaned off that wage and go back into the labor market where they're going to get less. At the same time, the kids aren't in school. Schools aren't fully open. There is still a pandemic and vaccine and, and, and vaccinations happening. There are still infections happening. And there's, um, there's a kind of a, a feeling that in some of these jobs, especially we're hearing in the restaurant business, guess what? It's not really great working conditions. You've got anti-maskers coming in and mm-hmm. sitting in, 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 in sections of the restaurant that have been closed off. You've got people coming in and demanding that it's exactly the way it was before the pandemic and kind of refusing to believe that, that we're in this new normal where you're going to have to be a little more patient. That's a hard job to work. You know, there are other studies and stories that have showed us that there are many of these restaurant workers in particular who've taken the the pandemic and have actually been retraining for jobs in tech and finance. The pandemic and the extra $300 a week has actually been the first time there's been like an opportunity to be able to retrain and get out of, um, get out of that sector of the economy. So now you've got fast food companies and restaurants that are competing for workers, workers who have said, take this job and shove it. (laughs) I'm going to go get a job in finance or in the mortgage industry. Um, with a little bit of training. So I think that's a interesting, an interesting development. Um, this is why you're seeing so many of these places raise their wages. We heard Chipotle raising, it, it still has a starting wage, I think, of $11 an hour, but it's trying to get to an average wage of $15. We saw Costco raise wages earlier um, this year. You're seeing the private sector do what Congress hasn't been able to do, and they're doing it for selfish reasons, because they've got to keep workers Right. And you can't really keep workers at eleven dollars, eleven dollars an hour, especially now when really you have millions of people who are having kind of an existential work crisis. You know, who's going to take care of my kids? How am I going to pay for daycare? Um, I still have fear of of the virus. And by the way, I don't really like this job I'm going back to. So that's um, we're in a place, a real interesting place where there's a soul searching going on in the American workforce, especially the low wage workforce. This is really interesting. I just expected it to be the exact opposite. Like people are going to be so desperate because after a year of, of living on unemployment and not being able to work, um, you know, people are you know, pe- people are at their absolute like final financial end here. I figured that it would be easier for companies to exploit their workers because it's easier to exploit a desperate person. Um, and here we are in conditions where companies instead are being forced to 
pay a more livable wage. That was not the outcome of this that I was expecting. And that's the free market at work. That's what's so interesting. You did have the distortion of, you know, Congress and the Fed coming in to prevent a depression, which they did. You know, the Congress and the Fed pumped out trillions of dollars to make sure that we did not implode as an economy. And even then, it was really scary there. But now we're coming out of it. And we are recovering. The economy is recovering. You're going to have the best economic growth this year since 1984, since Ronald Reagan was president, right? And you, people do have money in their pockets. The savings rate was like 21% or something. So people took that $1,400 uh, stimulus check. And people, some people spent it but a lot of people saved it or saved part of it. And that gives you a little bit of a cushion. Again, that gives you a little bit of a cushion to get on the other side of the virus. The virus is not vanquished. It just isn't. And, and so that is, to me, the bigger issue than the unemployment benefits. And I'm sure in hindsight, we will have some great economic modeling that will tell us exactly what that $300 extra a week, um, how it may have held back some part of the labor force from trying to get a job. But I honestly think closed schools and fear of the virus have got to be a bigger, um, a bigger factor than that. Now, look, those unemployment benefits are going to expire um, later this fall. They go through September. I think five or six states now have come out and said that they are ending them earlier than that. They're not going to participate in that government program. And those are states like Montana and Arkansas and others where they say they have really low unemployment rate already and they've got jobs and small business owners are really worried that um, they can't get people back into the labor market. So some of those states are going are to ax those extra benefits already. But for some people, You've seen this retraining into the finance sector, you know, banking, frontline banking and mortgage lending. And um, uh, the mortgage market has been unbelievable. The refinance market in real estate, that has been an unbelievable part of, of the economy. And we have a shortage in truck drivers. And this is where there's a real opportunity for people, I think, who are trying to retrain out of two or three part-time jobs where you don't have very much scheduling flexibility. Um, short truckers, especially gas truckers, believe it or not, there's a shortage. Um, and those are good paying jobs, right? Mm-hmm. That are uh, with, with some clarity and with some real, you know, like pride of ownership. So I think there's some there, I think that we're going to see a once in a generation kind of movement in the labor market as people try to find their spot in a growing economy. That's well, this so is very exciting. And it is exciting. Well, they have a trucking channel on Sirius XM. So that's exciting for all the folks who are going to enter that industry. You should know that there is another channel if you're listening. Um, yeah, but you can stay here if you're here. truckers. You too. can stay we, here. We, we, you we can love, stay we here. Love the truckers that are. But I'm just telling listening. you, you have your own special channel. That's very exciting. It's an exciting job. I mean, remember at the beginning of the pandemic, the truckers that would call in to. to we, mm-hmm. we had a trucker call in to tell us that. Um, Toilet paper was now being like hijacked in the same way that yep. you used to. If you were trucking cigarettes, you had to be very wary of people stealing your truck. <laughs> and then uh, in April, it was it was toilet paper, and they had made so the necessary safety precautions to, to like you know secure the toilet paper trucks that in the same amazing. way that they used to secure the cigarette trucks. <laughs> that so. is so. But see, that's the kind of on the ground financial reporting right? that I love because it's. <laughs> I'm serious. This is what I mean. People yeah. love their jobs and we define ourselves by what we do. Right. And I think that some some of that anecdotal reporting can be so helpful. So one of the questions, one of the questions I asked you maybe two times ago when you were on is this idea that if you can't pay people enough to live, then maybe you need to, I don't know, restructure your business model. Um, and you know, that part of running a small business effectively 
is being able to give your employees enough money so to to feed their families um, or at least feed themselves at the very least. Um, so you just mentioned that the market is sort of working in, in the way that the workers are saying, yep, I'm afraid of COVID or I have kids or for whatever reason, I am retraining myself and not going back to that job. Is that sort of another example of this, of the same coin where the workers are sort of setting um, the standard for what what are acceptable wages um, in this marketplace? It's so uh, that's such a good way to put it because I feel like um, I feel like what we're seeing is an economy that blew up because of COVID and revealed that we really run on millions of low wage workers who work a couple of jobs. And let me give you an example. We knew at one point at the worst of the crisis that we the economy was down something like. 5 million jobs for women. So 5 million jobs that had been held by women were gone. And 2.5 million women had left the workforce. Well, I kept looking at that math thinking, how can that be? How could be so many jobs, but only 2.5 million women have left the workforce? And it could be that many women are working two jobs, right? Two mm-hmm. low-wage jobs. And we have this army of of women and um, uh, women who are working these jobs that – can't go back or honestly can't go back if you also if you have an elderly person in your family who's the most likely person who has now been out of work on unemployment benefits who's going to be taking care of the elderly person and the kids who are home from school that just for whatever reason and I don't want to argue about why but women are the ones who end up disproportionately bearing um, bearing that that brunt so going back to work is going you're you know the the economy is going to have to fight to get those women back to work, to make it enticing for those women to get back to work. And I know some of the companies have been doing that. The banks have been doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, CEOs of big companies and quote-unquote office jobs have been really concerned about how to get women back into the work and, and to and to be feel valued in the work they're doing since the value of what they're doing right now out of work has been um, so important, uh, so important as well. But you can't run an economy on a bunch of low-wage jobs. And these are not jobs that are, you think of like a restaurant job or a fast food job, you think of it like I would think of it when I worked in a pizza place. We were all teenagers or home from college, and there was like one manager who was a grown-up who had kids, and we were all basically just part-time workers, and that was a stepping stone or a gap. That's not the way it is anymore. These low-wage jobs, the average age of the worker is 29 years old. Half of them have children. They have some college, right? These aren't these are not stepping stone jobs. They somehow became destination jobs, and we still pay them like they're stepping stone jobs. And that mm-hmm. that is a disconnect that's I think going to have to change. Okay, so I, I I wanted to do a hard pivot to to international because we were talking about India uh, before, and yeah. the you know we we watched the hospital system. We basically watched in India everything that that the three of us were talking about could possibly happen here uh, is now happening. So now now their economy is on the point of collapse. They're obviously a major shipping route. They're a huge part of global infrastructure. They manufacture 60% of our vaccines. What happens to the American economy if India's economy fails? Yeah, and I I can tell you that a lot of big American companies um, have been scrambling for a couple of weeks now because so much of their back office business and their online operations uh, is in Bangalore and other parts. I mean, for 10 years, they've been moving operations um, to India, and now it's an integral part of multinational company, you know, operations are there, and they're, they're justifiably worried about, about their workers and trying to protect their workers and figuring out how to secure vaccine for their, uh, for their workers because, um, you know, it's really, it's just 
such a heartbreaking situation. You mentioned cargo crews. Who knew that there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who, who are crews on these cargo ships who are Indian nationals who now, because of travel uh, shutdowns, you can't refresh your crews on some of these on some of these ships. Mm-hmm. Pharmaceutical is incredibly important. I, I, I read somewhere this morning, it was on my show, and I, I can't remember exactly the stat, but something like one out of every three uh, uh, pills taken in the United States, uh, um, um, uh, pills is, is, is manufactured by a pharmaceutical company in, in India. It is a really important generic pill manufacturer. So there are so many, you know, important reasons for your heart and your head to care about what's happening in India, uh, for the science of it, you know, the worry that it could be a breeding ground for new variants if you can't get control of the virus, just the utter devastation of what you're seeing, you know, uh, for families there. And then there is that hard economic truth that India is a big, huge democracy that has been woven into, you know, the, um, the, the global financial system. So it's really important to get a hold of this. Yes, it certainly sounds that that scared me where you just said that all the pills come from there and all yeah. the, I mean I I was just thinking about of course most this is going to disrupt the world economy I mean we know this but it was weird that it didn't hit us until this week um that we were like oh wait everything is in everything is in India yeah. I mean every single time you call a customer service thing for anything I mean, we know this. I've been saying that I've been watching these prices go up for so many things and bottlenecks Mm -hmm. for things, you know, and inflation is the big story now that everyone's concerned about. And and I feel like it's the revenge of of something in economics or in business. It's called just-in-time inventory, where as the globe got smaller because of technology and vast shipping lanes and cheap gas, you know, cheap oil – you could you could be building something in a factory here and not get the computer chips. And they're not coming till next week, so you don't have to pay to keep them on your inventory. But guess what happened? COVID blew up all of the supply lines. Right. So we've we've had to idle the Ford F-150 um, assembly line because they can't get the right computer chips. And we've seen um, from top to bottom. I mean, ketchup packet, like all kinds of things. Gasoline. I'm 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 really worried about gasoline supplies for this summer. Mm-hmm. We've got this Colonial Pipeline hack that comes on top of just pent-up demand, and um, I'm I'm real concerned about the lack of, as I said, truck drivers, you know, people who can Mm -hmm. drive these tanker trucks with important important goods. So it's just so interesting how COVID has revealed so many weaknesses in how we do business and how we think about, you know, our relationship with business, and and it'll, it'll be somebody will... We'll be we'll be um, teaching classes in business school about what we learned from COVID and the economy, but we're still mm. right in the thick of it. Absolutely. Maybe you should write the book. You should write the I book just and then that. teach it in the class. <laughs> I read the You've book. You got a couple books. You could you could write another one. I know. I mean, New book. Every time we my publisher things. says, every time my publisher says, "Do you have another book in you?" I'm like, "Oh my gosh, talk call me in one month." <laughs> like I keep <laughs> it back. I just there's so much going on. You know, it's hard to. There's so much going on that could go in a book. Look at that. I okay, know. Christine Romans, we're, we, we'll stop. We'll stop telling you to write the book. But if you wrote it. <laughs> We would I, have, it. I have um, three little kids. I'm trying to put the book in the brains of my three little boys. I'm trying to okay. raise three little men, and that right now is like, 
That's like writing an Encyclopedia Britannica at the moment. Oh, yes, it is. And we'll, we will leave you to that. But thank you at least for sharing your knowledge with us as often as you do. It has been an yes. absolutely invaluable resource this year. Uh, Christine Romance, you obviously know her from CNN's early start. Thank you again. Thank and you. tell your truck drivers to give me the tips. I want the tips at Christine Romance on Twitter. You tell your truck drivers to give me you all their it. economy tips. I want those. I you heard that. it. <laughs> doing? We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening.